0: listening to the Talking Rheumatology Research Podcast, brought to you by the British Society for Rheumatology. My name is Widim Indossi, Senior Associate Professor in Rheumatology Nursing and Co-Editor of Rheumatology Advances in Practice. Uh, This is an official journal of British Society for Rheumatology. Today, I'm meeting with Dr. Shivani Go and Dr. Sung Hee Kim, uh, authors of one of the winning papers in the 2022 trainee publishing program. So their paper is a concise report, and the title is C-reactive protein rise in rheumatology patients following COVID-19 vaccination. Welcome, Dr. Go and Dr. Kim.
1: Hello, thanks for having us. Thank you. Yeah.
0: Welcome. Okay. So in your study, you wanted to know the proportion of patients with inflammatory arthritis who have had a flare uh, of their disease after receiving COVID-19 vaccine. So what led you to undertake this research?
2: So I think the main reason how it all started was, so me and Sangee worked together at um, the Great Western Hospital in Swindon, and we were finding more and more that the rheumatology specialist nurses were coming to us for help um because they'd had a patient booked in in their emergency clinic that had come in with a flare and more and more we realized that actually when we went to see them that they'd recently had you know within the last sort of month had their a covid vaccine um and then we were talking in the office over coffee which we did a lot and um and just thought you know is there something in this should we look into it further
0: yeah so so that's really interesting to know and uh yeah, we talk about flares in in, in inflammatory arthritis and uh, yeah, perhaps you can give us just a little just description of what common symptoms uh, of flare uh, in, in inflammatory arthritis. Uh,
1: well, we'll be talking about swollen and um, tender joints. Some patients might feel generally unwell as well. Um, I think the flares maybe post-vaccination uh, weren't hugely different from what normal flare would look like in rheumatology patients as well.
0: So, what are the aims of this study
1: um I think we wanted to see if we can find if there's an association with the covid vaccination um and a a flare of their rheumatological disease um partly after our conversations that we couldn't actually find that much online that might be because everything is so new the vaccinations were new um Mm -hmm. so there probably hasn't been that much research but also we wanted to be able to inform our patients whether there is a risk of flare and how we can kind of navigate the, the need for having a vaccine but as well as managing their flares appropriately
0: yeah and this this is a time that uh, uh, people with inflammatory arthritis uh, uh, and other other rheumatological conditions were considered uh, to be vulnerable patients you want us to give us just just a little just a little information why are this uh, why is this group of patients considered vulnerable uh, during the covid pandemic during the pandemic
2: well I guess for two reasons um one is their underlying rheumatological condition I mean that alone can uh, immunosuppress them especially if they have uncontrolled disease and then the other one is the, the medications we use and and that can Definitely, leave them vulnerable to infections, and I guess now we know a bit more. But when everything first came out, we didn't really know what the implication of COVID would mean on our patients. So, I guess what three years down the line, we're in a slightly better position, but I can't say in in a great position. But it was, yeah. So I guess we didn't know, so we had to treat our cohort of patients um, as extremely vulnerable. Yes, yes, absolutely.
0: And uh, yeah, so so you've got your really the research question, you've got the reason why you really wanted to do this. How did you go about to collect your data?
1: I think when we actually had a research question, we realised that we're always quite often surrounded by lots and lots of data that we collect from our patients. Um, and thankfully, in the department we're working in, we use DAWN, which is a rheumatology database that collects um, information for patients who are on um, disease-modifying therapy, including biologics. So it was relatively straightforward identifying patients who are on DMAR therapy and biologics. And within that database, we also put um, or designate their their, um, underlying condition. And we also had access to national immunisation and vaccination system, um, which meant that it was collect all the information about, you know, anyone who has an NHS number who's had the COVID vaccine. So we were able to correlate when they had the vaccine to uh, their blood tests that we had in the hospital database.
0: Right. Yeah. So, so yeah, from that, I can guess it was quite a lot of work. You're working with two different sets of data sources. Yeah. What were the challenges in doing that?
2: yeah, exactly that it was it was a lot of data collection. Um, I mean I guess with with a lot of these research projects that once you know you get into a flow of it and it and it works, but it it did take time that was probably the thing that that took the longest amount of time. and yeah, like you said, it was two systems that we were working with dawn and the the immunization database and initially trying to navigate the immunization database was was tricky, but we we got there in the end.
0: Yes, I can imagine quite a lot of work there. Uh, and as, as researchers, the, the curiosity and wanting to know that kind of helps you to motivate you to go and do a little bit more work, sometimes learning new skills, uh, just to be able to get the data you want. Yeah, and so, so what information did you need from these databases? What, what key information that you thought would be really helpful to inform your analysis?
1: So... We identified patients using the DAWN database, so we knew from the DAWN database, the underlying condition, age, uh, their gender, um, and also the DMOD therapy they were on, whether they were on biologics. Um, And then we also acquired from the NIFS database um, when they had their vaccines and which type of vaccine they had. And in in the UK, they were one of the three, so it was AstraZeneca, Pfizer, and Moderna vaccines. Um, and then the last bits, bit of information we needed is whether they had a blood test within thirty days of having the vaccination, um, mm-hmm. and and the CRP data from that.
0: Yeah, and and I can see how you selected only people with inflammatory arthritis. Why did you exclude others like those with uh, connective tissue disease, for example?
2: I think it was it was a sort of a conscious decision because with patients with connective tissue disease or vasculitis there are a lot more reasons why they could have a raised crp and looking at a blood test alone wouldn't you know we we would have to gather a bit more information um so we just narrowed it down first to to just the inflammatory arthritis patients and to try and i guess initially keep it simple
0: yes absolutely make it manageable because unless it is manageable then you the whole kind of exercise will be really futile yeah yeah thank you thank you so much and uh, so what can you tell us uh, in terms of the main results what are the main findings of your of your study
1: so i think there are two main findings um surprisingly to both of us we actually found that in our group of patients we had really high uptake of vaccinations you know we we'll, you know as patients we're so worried that our patients are at risk And we really want them to have the vaccinations. And actually, it was backed up by our data that over 95% of our patient group were vaccinated, which is really encouraging. And um, the second finding that we had from this research was that there was a slight increase in CRP rise after a vaccination in our group of patients compared to what we kind of set as a baseline flare rate, which was about 8%. And mm-hmm. After the vaccination, it rose to about 10 to 12%. So that was our main two findings.
0: And how did you know that this CRP rise was after vaccine? Did you follow the boosters or the, the first and second doses? How did you know this was specifically kind of linked with the vaccination?
1: So we had to kind of empirically set that we're going to look at a, a CRP data 30 days after the vaccination so there is a little bit of a temporal relationship and we did take um, the crp data from the, all the vaccinations the first second and the booster or the third but i think i think your point is definitely valid it, because it was a retrospective study um, we can't say that definitely causative what we do know is that it is within 30 days of the vaccine and we yeah. can gather from that that there might be a temporal relationship
0: absolutely yeah, yeah, thank you. Thank you so much. And uh, so with this, you kind of concluded that there was a flare to the vaccine, 30 days after the vaccine?
1: So I think our study suggests that there, there might be a risk or increased risk of having a flare after yeah. the vaccination. What we don't know from this study is what is the significance or clinical significance of this increased risk? Um, and what we definitely didn't want to conclude from our study is that, oh, there's a flare of disease for vaccinations, therefore our patients shouldn't get vaccinations because we do know having an infection itself is an independent risk factor and there's a much more significant relationship between an infection itself and the disease flare. But I think it is important for the patients to understand that there may be a slight increase in the disease flare and therefore, once they have had the vaccination, they can seek help if they see any signs of a flare so we can manage them more appropriately.
0: Absolutely. Yes, Dr. Gore, did you want to add on to that as well?
2: Uh, yeah, echoing exactly what Sunghee said. So I guess the study's not there to kind of um, deter patients away from having the vaccine. It's more to inform them that this might happen, just like, you know, you might have a flare if you have any sort of viral infection. Just have a lower threshold to seek help. Don't think that it's all in your head. And there is possibly a relationship there and and. Yeah, you can be seen and we, you know, there, there are things that we can do to help.
0: For me here, yeah, that looks like really good advice for patients in terms of education uh, and uh, perhaps in terms of information that we, we give our patients. So, uh, and we know a lot of these patients where went forward really had a really good uptake of the vaccine, according to your data. Yeah. Now, we know that there's, there's there are issues around when in immunity. With COVID-19 vaccines, how can you improve vaccine uptake in this group of patients? Given your study, what would you advise uh, health professionals? How would you advise patients?
2: I always, well, I guess in clinical practice, if um, patients do ask me, you know, should I go for the next vaccine if if it's offered to me? I say yes, and I give the reasons why, and I guess a lot of that is still we, d- we don't know. It's not, you know, like, COVID's still not been around long enough to to sort of predict things, but what we do know is that the medications that they're on are suppressing their immune system. So mm-hmm. at the moment, the safest way to advise them is to have the vaccination and try and keep their immunity up for as long as possible. Yeah, it, it, it sometimes is a difficult conversation, I think, yeah. Um, I feel like it's it's become a bit of a polarizing topic, um, and patients yes. have strong views, or they're very happy to sort of accept what you're going to say and and go on your advice. But um, it's always good to have the conversation.
1: And I think actually being very very transparent with you know any intervention that can have risks and benefits, and having an open conversation. I think, improves patient trust and p- improves the patient-clinician relationship. So I think this kind of research, so that we're a lot more open about the things that we recommend our patients, um, and open about the risks that they may be taking, is a lot more persuasive than saying, this is the best way and there is no discussion about it. Yes.
0: Yeah. And your, your study really, really helps a lot to to bring that kind of showing that actually, these are the kind of things that we would see associated with the vac- with vaccination, and that gives that information out really a nice way to help foster discussion with the patients. Uh, and therefore, yeah, I agree with you. Being very much open about it, really, really good for patients and for everyone, really. So, so what what do you think are limitations for your study?
1: I think once we have collected the data, there are lots of things that we wish we were able to collect, and I think. If we were to design it more as a prospective study and have and you know, contemporaneously kind of collect the clinical data like our DAS28 scores, looking at how many joints are um, flaring um, and be able to t- take the clinical data as well, would have been amazing. It would have given us much more fuller picture, and we might have been able to kind of have more stronger association between a vaccination and disease flare. But it was a retrospective study looking at previous existing data so that's definitely one of the limitations and as kind of mentioned before we were only looking at crp and we know that inflammatory arthritis is so much more than crp and is not necessarily the best markers to indicate things it is definitely helpful and i think it just gives us an inkling of what might be going on but it is definitely not the definitive way of looking at flares and going back to it being a retrospective study, only half of our patients actually had a blood test within 30 days. So this flare rate is only really looking at the data we actually already have. So it may be bigger or smaller. So that's another limitation. But I think overall, what the study does show is a little bit of a glimpse of what might be happening. And I think it does mean that there is a scope to look into this further and design more comprehensive
2: study to look into this.
0: Is that what you're planning next, your next steps?
2: Yeah, exactly what Sanghee said. I think to plan a more, um, yeah, a prospective study this time, taking into account the details that we weren't able to do in a retrospective study. Um, yeah, definitely. If opportunities arise, then um, then then that is definitely something that we would like to look into.
0: Right, fantastic. So thank you, Dr. Gore and Dr. Kim, for sharing your research.
2: Thank you so much for having us. Yeah, thank you for having us. It's been great.
0: Now I invite you all to read the full paper, which is published in Rheumatology Advances in Practice, Volume 7, Supplement 1. The title is C Reactive Protein Rise in Rheumatology Patients Following COVID-19 Vaccination. It is an open access paper, which means it is available for free to all readers. Thank you all for joining us today. Please join us again on another episode of Talking Rheumatology Research. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Talking Rheumatology Research, brought to you by BSR. Please do rate, share and subscribe through your favourite podcast app.